Panic attacks trick millions of people into fearing disaster and giving up so many of the activities they used to enjoy without fear. But you can regain freedom from panic attacks. Today we're sharing an excerpt from the new audiobook, The Panic Attacks Workbook, a guided program for beating the panic trick, second edition. Written by clinical psychologist and anxiety expert, Dr. David Carbonell, this audiobook will help you stop the vicious cycle that leads to panic attacks and learn to master your anxiety. Hi, welcome to Your Great Journey. We offer brief tips, techniques, and insights to help you move in positive directions and master big change. For more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A.com. The Panic Attacks Workbook a guided program for beating the panic trick, second edition, is a practical audiobook full of proven strategies and helpful advice on how to master your anxiety and panic and reclaim your life. Clinical psychologist and anxiety expert Dr. David Carbonell will help you understand the true nature of your panic attacks, including the vicious cycle of habitual responses that lead to debilitating attacks, how you can halt this self-destructive process, and the many ways you can start on a step-by-step -step journey that promotes recovery. This audiobook shares helpful methods from cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy that will help you regain the life you want to live. If you're developing panic disorder, the first attack is usually an unexpected experience, something that occurs, as people say, out of the blue. You're going along, minding your own business. Maybe you're shopping in a busy grocery store, driving on a highway, waiting at a red light on a hot day, or sitting in church trying to follow along with the sermon, but your mind keeps wandering. Maybe you're on vacation somewhere far from home. Maybe you're even home in bed, sound asleep. The next thing you know, you feel some terrible symptoms for no apparent reason. Maybe your heart races or seems loud. You might feel hot and sweaty, dizzy or lightheaded, have trouble breathing, feel chest pain or tightness, feel numb or tingly in your toes, fingers, and scalp, or feel weak in your legs. You might experience a strange sense of unreality, as if you don't know if you're there in your body or floating around somewhere, and you feel really afraid. You don't know why at first, but you're really afraid. That's the general picture of a first panic attack in panic disorder, although the details will vary. Some people get a few moments of preliminary symptoms before the attack arrives full-blown, and some don't. People get different combinations of symptoms, too. The panic attacks you have won't be exactly the same as someone else's, nor will each of yours be identical. You might find that they change over time as different symptoms come to your attention. If your situation is more narrowly focused than panic disorder, something more like a specific phobia, your first panic attack 
was likely triggered by the situation, activity, or object you now fear, be it dogs, heights, storms, doctors, or whatever. Why People Develop Panic Attacks and Phobias People with panic usually want very much to know why they have panic attacks and frequently ask themselves that question. Why me? They'll ask themselves again and again. Why here? Why now? It's perfectly natural to want to know why you have panic. However, the why questions won't be all that useful to you. Focusing on the why questions is much more likely to get you stuck than to help you recover. When people ask themselves the why question, they're not really looking for information. They usually express that why question in an angry, accusatory way. They're often worried that the panic is their fault somehow. Sometimes they're angry at fate, the world, or God, protesting as if a terrible mistake has been made and demanding to know who will correct it for them. That anger and blame won't be part of the solution. I see two general patterns in the history of people who come to me for help with fears and phobias. The first type is people who can trace their phobias directly back to childhood, without interruption. Whatever they fear, be it public speaking, flying, an animal, or whatever, their history shows that they have always been afraid of it. Think of these as childhood phobias that were never outgrown. These are more likely to be specific phobias than phobias associated with panic disorder. People with this kind of history are often much less concerned with the why question. They see it as a fear that's always, or almost always, been with them, and don't see much mystery about it. The second pattern is more likely to be associated with panic disorder and gives rise to much more preoccupation with the why question. In this case, people can look back to a time in their life when they didn't have the fears they have now. In fact, they often can recall a time in their life when they thoroughly enjoyed the activity or situation they now fear, or when they felt fearless in general. For instance, a fearful flyer will rarely be a person who has never flown in their life. Most are people who flew, often quite frequently, before they became afraid. Some were military pilots and loved flying. It's similar with people who feared driving. They generally had years of driving experience before becoming phobic. For these people, the why question bothers them like a burning saddle burr. They see their life divided into two different parts, the part before they developed panic attacks and the part after. They liked the first part a lot better, and they ask, why? There are three basic reasons. The first is that there is almost certainly a genetic predisposition to panic attacks and phobias. Some people are born likely to develop panic attacks under the right circumstances, and some people couldn't have a panic attack if you paid them. Other people have different tendencies from you. Some of them are prone to high blood pressure, excessive drinking or use of drugs, or nail-biting and hair-pulling. Nobody got to choose. A second reason has to do with the circumstances and atmosphere of their childhood. Adults with panic disorder seem to have often grown up in an atmosphere that, for one reason or another, failed to teach them that the world is a place where they could happily pursue their own enjoyment. Had circumstances been different, 
their predisposition to panic might have remained dormant. But it didn't turn out that way. Maybe there was an early death in the family, severe illness, or some other serious problem such as alcoholism. It could have been the opposite kind of problem. Maybe the parents were anxious and overprotective and unwittingly strengthened the child's sense of vulnerability. Or perhaps the child learned to spend too much time and effort taking care of others and felt responsible for their happiness. The third reason has to do with the stress of becoming an independent adult. Panic disorder usually begins in your 20s or 30s, the years when you're going through all the changes associated with becoming an independent adult. This is the season when panic disorder blooms. Once it does, the stress and fear then get focused on particular activities, like flying, driving, or shopping. Suddenly you find yourself unable to manage tasks that used to be easy for you. What these three reasons have in common is that none of them were under your own control. They were developmental events in life, not something you chose. If you have panic attacks, they're your problem to solve or leave unsolved. Don't get fooled into thinking they're your fault. Making sense of the first attack. The physical symptoms are powerful and dramatic, so it's no wonder that they lead people to think they're dying or experiencing some other calamity such as fainting, having a nervous breakdown, or just losing control of themselves in all kinds of ways. It's very important to notice that these thoughts of catastrophe are also symptoms of a panic attack. They're not clear and accurate warnings of danger. They're not useful appraisals from the smartest part of your brain. They're symptoms of anxiety. They're simply the thoughts that you usually have when you get afraid. This is where the trick of panic begins, when you try to make sense of the experience and begin having these catastrophic thoughts. The catastrophic thoughts, in turn, lead to more physical symptoms, and on it goes. For most phobics, the ultimate fear is of losing control of themselves as a result of their fear. Responses to the first attack People usually flee the scene of their first attack, often without attracting any attention. If they're indoors, they'll usually exit the building and might feel some relief as soon as they get outside. If they're in a car and can't immediately park, they're liable to open windows or turn on the air conditioning and feel some relief from that. They may retreat to a private place to get a hold of themselves or go to an emergency room. If the attack occurs at work or somewhere with others present, friends or family may insist on taking them to an ER or calling the paramedics. Attention from others who want to help is often the source of additional discomfort, leading the person to try to hide any future attacks from others. If they became panicky in a social situation, like a party or a meeting, they're liable to make an excuse and leave. Less frequently, they ask for help, but all too often, the help they get isn't very helpful. People who go to the ER with their first panic attack often have an unsatisfactory experience because, strange as it seems, a panic attack isn't an emergency. They may get a general message from the staff that there's nothing wrong with you and that they should go home and relax. Of course, there is something wrong. The person had a panic attack. It's not that there's nothing wrong, 
but that the thing that's wrong isn't dangerous. This distinction, unfortunately, often gets lost in the discussion. Prelude to an Attack Some typical patterns accompany the onset of panic disorder. A first attack most often occurs between the ages of 18 and 35. It often follows a period of significant changes associated with becoming an independent adult, such as taking a first full-time job, moving away from home, buying a first home, getting married, having children. Panic onset can also be a response to a long period of difficulty, such as severe depression, feeling trapped in a bad marriage or other situation, the death of a loved one, prolonged periods of uncertainty about one's health, career, or finances. But it doesn't take bad events to get panic disorder going. People frequently develop panic attacks when everything seems to be going well in their life and they're starting to attain their personal goals. This often puzzles them because they assume that panic would only come during times of trouble. Not so. Panic attacks can develop when you experience a lot of change in a small period of time, even if it's all welcome change. The Riddle of Panic One of the peculiarities of a panic attack is that it typically subsides and ends without harming the person or causing any of the calamities they fear. I'm sure you've heard this before. I mention it not because I expect it to relieve your fears, but because it can reveal an important aspect of panic. Since people with panic disorder don't get crippled, killed, or driven mad by the panic attacks, why do they continue to fear them? Why don't people eventually catch on and naturally lose their fear? This is the central question of panic disorder, and I will return to it in Chapter 4. Demoralization The days and weeks after a first panic attack are often a demoralizing experience. It's not enough that you just went through a terrifying experience in which you thought you were dying or going crazy. You may also encounter physicians and other professional helpers who aren't well prepared to respond to this kind of problem. At best, they may treat you kindly and suggest you seek out a therapist or take some medication. At worst, they may be dismissive of a problem for which they're not trained and suggest that you just get over it or relax with a cup of tea and forget about it. But a person who fears death and insanity will not be cured by a cup of tea or a warm bath. Your friends and family are probably also unprepared to be helpful unless they have some personal experience with panic themselves. They may try their best to help you but find that they just don't know how, and you may feel frustrated and unsupported. Avoidance and Anticipation You probably find that you worry about having another panic attack and try, unsuccessfully, to get rid of those thoughts. You may already be making subtle changes in your daily routine in an effort to avoid another panic attack. For example, avoiding the site where the first panic attack occurred or having your phone ready at all times should you need to phone for help or distraction. Your sleep appetite, and sense of well-being may be seriously disrupted in the aftermath of a first attack. The Panic Cycle Most people who have one attack will have more. There are a number of reasons for this, but one big one 
is that they emerge from the initial experience confused, demoralized, and worried about their future. This leads them to think and act in ways that they hope will protect them, but only make future attacks more likely. They get caught up in a spiral of fearful anticipation of panic attacks, efforts to protect themselves by avoidance and other responses that disrupt their life, and more attacks. This is the main reason so many people come to grief when they try to protect themselves from panic. They avoid whatever might trigger it. They tell themselves, don't think about it. They resist it. They try to force themselves to feel better somehow. They get angry at themselves. They feel shame and embarrassment about feeling anxious. They try to keep it a secret from others, and they try to medicate it away with alcohol, nicotine, cannabis, and other substances. These all make the anxiety worse in the long term. It's not simply that resistance is futile. It's that resisting anxiety fuels the fears. Struggling against fear is like putting out fires with gasoline. Fortunately, there is a way out for people with panic attacks, whether the attacks are part of panic disorder, social phobia, specific phobias, or some other anxiety disorder. This way out will work for those who just had their first panic attack last week, and for those who had their first attack 20 years ago. It will work for you whatever you fear. Public speaking, parties, illness, highway driving, crowded stores, airplanes, elevators, dogs, nervous sweating, vomiting, or whatever. You can recover from panic attacks and phobias. In the rest of part one, I'm going to help you develop a different view of how panic and phobias work, one that's more accurate and realistic. It's a view that will enable you to overcome panic attacks, phobias, and, to a lesser extent, worry and other manifestations of anxiety. Then, I'm going to show you how you can use that view to create your own recovery. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from Panic Attacks Workbook, a guided program for beating the panic trick, second edition. You can purchase the complete audiobook from any major online audiobook retailer. If you'd like more information, please visit yourgreatjourney.com. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. And please share it with friends who might also enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Your Great Journey is brought to you by audiobook publisher Wetware Media. Wetware Media publishes a wide variety of personal transformation audiobooks available from any major online audiobook retailer. For more information, please visit wetwaremedia.com. That's W-E-T-W-A-R-E-M-E-D-I-A dot com.